This is Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a Corolla built just for you. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Ready? Okay. Give me a beach. Beach. Give me great food. Tacos. Give me adventure. Hiking. Give me a date night. Sunset cruise. Give me some smiles. Cheese. Give me more beaches. Beaches. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Are you ready to move your career forward? Make your comeback with Purdue Global and get college credit for your work, school, life, or military experiences. With these credits, you may have already completed up to 75% of your undergraduate degree. You've worked hard to get where you are. It's time to get the recognition you deserve and earn a degree you'll be proud of, one that employers will trust and respect. When you take the next step in your life and career, make it count with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. Citizen Chef is a production of iHeartRadio. Hello, everyone. You know, I can't believe it's already fall. And with the season's change, we're also wrapping up season two of Citizen Chef. You know, it's been an exciting summer and we've covered a lot of topics. And whether it is as foundational as how the USDA works or as current and, and as exciting as the history making increase in SNAP funding, as vital as recognizing the impact of black restaurateurs and chefs, are as totally cool as considering the future of cannabis in our restaurants. And that obviously just scratched the surface. But I did want to close out the season by focusing again on the big picture. This year, we tried to make sure our conversations were wide-reaching. And while we always start with food, we definitely don't end there. What we eat affects our health, affects our environment, affects our economy, and has a history to it that affects the way we understand ourselves and our country. But today, we're going to focus on the true cost of food. Now, just as an, an example, uh, farmers in Iowa uh, use a tons of nitrates on their fields, and uh, those nitrates leach out into the Mississippi, they head downstream, and they create a dead zone in the Gulf of Mexico. And so what impact does the farmer in Iowa have on fishing communities in the Gulf? Does it have on fish reproduction in the Gulf and the effects that, that has on the overall economy? None of that is factored into the price of corn in Iowa or the price of soy in Iowa. So, in fact, in July, the Rockefeller Foundation released a report that estimated that the true cost of food in the United States to be more than $3 trillion, as opposed to the $1 trillion that Americans spend. And that is because they factor in things like uh, the environmental uh, impacts and, and health impacts of our food habits, uh, which cost us more in the long term. So we're closing out the season with a look at true cost accounting. And, you know, there's a growing movement to include true cost accounting or, or TCA when considering the cost of food. Uh, which can be far more than what you pay at the supermarket. And our guest today is quite familiar with that report and cited it in her article for Civil Eats entitled, Can Accounting for the True Cost of Food Change the Global Food System? So let me introduce uh, journalist Lisa Held, who specializes in writing about food and agriculture and even hosts her own podcast called The Farm Report. 
So I'm thrilled to have Lisa on because she is an expert in the field and she's also truly skilled at breaking down topics as big as TCA for us to understand. Lisa's going to help explain a bit more about what TCA is and how it impacts our current food system and how it could improve uh, future systems in a way that is equitable and more sustainable. So welcome, Lisa. Thanks for inviting me. When I read the article uh, that you wrote in Civil Eats, um, uh, I, I was really intrigued because this is something that uh, obviously is someone who is involved in the food system, not only participating in the food system, producing food, eating food, buying food from my home, uh, but also very active in policy work around the food system. Uh, and so this is something that a lot of us have you know, known for a while and talked about for a while. Um, we all know that a poor diet um, can... You know, we're, I think, spending somewhere in the neighborhood of $200 billion in year, a year in, in health care costs associated with poor diet. Um, who pays for that? And so uh, when I read the article, I was like, finally, someone really, you know, putting um, uh, some accounting practices around us so we can maybe figure out, you know, the impact, the actual financial impact that uh, the way we're producing food has not only um, uh, to our pockets, but also to the environment. Uh, and and to municipalities who are stuck holding the bill to clean this up. I love that you brought up this idea that it's not really anything new, right? Like I talked to Lauren uh, Baker, one of the editors of, of this book, True Cost Accounting, in my article about that fact, because she was talking about the fact that she had been asking these kinds of questions for her entire career, you know, maybe for decades, but there hadn't been a name for it or kind of a, a systemic way to think about this. So, you know, at its most basic level, true cost accounting involves measuring all of the impacts of a given food from production at the farm all the way through to consumption. Um, and those would be impacts on people, society, the environment. And, you know, we've been doing that. But the idea here is we need a, an actual framework and a way to calculate those costs. Um, each one, you know, come up with a number. Sometimes, sometimes it's more qualitative because it can be tricky. Like when you think about, uh, how do you calculate something like animal welfare or equity? Sometimes it's, it's tricky to come up with a number, you know? So I'll just share with you very quickly a little story right out in front of my house here. There is a little triangle. Um, and the triangle is a, a collection area for water um, as you get heavy rains. And then that is a little area that collects water before it goes into a pond. Now, this little pond that we have here, um, for the 20 years that I've been here, usually around July, it, there's algae blooms. It turns green. and It's kind of nasty. And... Of course, the reason this is happening is because there's potato farms all around here. They're dumping tons of nitrates on the on the farms. The runoff goes into the pond. Algae bloom, right? And so the town engineer has got a grant from the state to spend about fifty, you know, thousand dollars to take this collection area and put a a a, a trap in it to collect water. But in doing that, you know, to cover his ass, he's got to put a six foot fence around it and cut down all the trees. And this is in front of my house. And so. And and so all the neighbors who live around here, we got together to go to a, a an emergency meeting of the Parks Department because the Parks Department has jurisdiction over this, um, and it was very much like Parks and Recreation. Um, and uh, and at one point it came up like, what role does the farmer play in this? And the answer was Clean Water Act zero. He has no responsibility for cleaning this. And so um, I thought it'd be great to get you and and uh, on the podcast to talk about this idea of true cost accounting. And uh, who is going to bear the cost of, of, of uh, a lot of these issues that uh, 
that we're talking about. So, so welcome aboard. So, in in in, in just in, in large terms, so the viewers can understand, what is true cost accounting? You know, the the bigger idea is trying to come up with these frameworks that can allow us to make those calculations. And then the next step is how and where do we apply those calculations, you know, in order to either move policy or get corporations that are externalizing some of their costs to internalize them and actually pay, like, for instance, these farms you're talking about that are polluting the town, right. like, you know, maybe they should, you know, be paying those costs of cleaning it up. Or, or, or have to, to create a collection area on their farm. That will filter the water through, you know, bioswales and things like that before it goes into this pond or this other collection area. Sure. Right. Uh, yeah. 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 So give us an example. I think uh, you, you cite following a tomato from Florida to Canada. Is that was, is, is, am I getting that right? That was an example that, that Lauren had of, um, of research she had done in the past, um, which is definitely um, something that that kind of works. I think a, a better example that that people might be able to kind of relate to is if you think about the cost of like a fast food value meal, right? It's super cheap. We right, like that's one of the the amazing things about that's like the selling point. It's like you can get this whole meal. It's really cheap. the price tag is low, right? But so then, you, you know, a true cost accounting analysis would look at things like, all right, what kind of pollution did the production of the meat cause, right? What were workers paid on the farms, in the slaughterhouse, in the restaurant? Um, and, the, and not only what were they paid, but if they were paid low wages, how were they then um, accessing food? Were they getting SNAP benefits? That, you know, that's a, that's a cost, right? What is in the cost of that happy meal? There is there is a, a cost associated of the you know it's and yes it's it's dirt cheap yeah and you scratch your head going how can they possibly right. do this um, and so but but there are some of those are captured in the price of that but obviously not not sure not well all sure the, the wages they're being paid are being captured in that price right so so if they're but if a worker is being paid eleven dollars an hour and then has to. Um, access SNAP benefits, for example, to pay to feed their families, which, you know, is, is necessary. Um, then that cost is not captured in there, which is a cost that, you know, taxpayers ultimately pay. I'm, I'm um, glad, I'm glad you went there. That was exactly where I was hoping you were going with this. Because, <laughs> yeah. because, and, I, and again, I, I wanted the, the, the listener here to really understand then, um, the, the cost of, 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 Cheap wages or low wages, yes, it's going to keep food costs down. But somewhere along the line, someone's going to have to access some sort of benefits to actually feed their family. And so, who's paying for that? Taxpayers are paying for that. And 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 so, essentially, what we're doing, and and, and this is it's it's tricky though because you don't want to raise the price of that meal, especially the happy meal. People on low income are, are that's with their with their using to feed their family, and it's very inexpensive. And so, raising the price of that. Um, would have adverse effects to that community. But on the same hand, if you paid those people more, they could probably afford the few dollars extra for the Happy Meal. You know, that's actually probably one of the biggest things people ask me whenever I talk about like, um, you know, producing better food, healthier food, um, you know, organic food, anything. It's always, well, what about people that can't afford it? Which is such an important question, right? And there's a need for people to simply get food on the table to feed their families. And, and I think you and I both, both agree on that um, for sure. sure. Um, but, you know, I think that, I think true cost accounting can kind of help us untangle this because the way that I think about it is 
the price of the food, if you think about it in a big picture sense, like the price of the food should be about what it costs to produce that food plus some sort of reasonable markup to pay the people who are providing it, right? The restaurant, the workers, the um, farmer. And then the, flip, the, the other side, the question of who can afford that food is about food access. And that's about low wages, access to affordable health care, um, systemic inequality, wealth gap. So there are there are places that those, that side of things can be fixed, um, that, that can then enable people to access healthier food. And, and also like, I mean, the, the labor question is crazy because I mean, I think if you're, if you're talking about a small restaurant, this isn't true. And I think, you know, from operating restaurants that labor costs are very real, um, difficult thing for restaurant owners to deal with. Right. And, um, but you know, when you're talking about these big companies that pay insanely low wages and produce really cheap food, you know, there, I I have this example that I would love to share. Sure. So there was a report that came out, um, Oxfam put it out last fall, um, 2020 that they did an analysis and they showed that Jeff Bezos could have personally paid each of Amazon's 876,000 employees, a one-off $105,000 bonus with the wealthy accumulated between March and August, 2020 alone, and still be as wealthy as he was at the beginning of the pandemic. So that's, that's the kind of money that exists within that system already. And so then, you know, the same, in the same month, a month later, the federal government put out a report showing that Amazon was among the top 25 employers with workers enrolled in SNAP in six out of nine states. So literally taxpayers are making up the wages Amazon isn't paying while celebrating how cheap the groceries are. Right. So there in that, like, there's a lot of examples like that where it is actually pretty straightforward and clear. And then there are other examples where it's not, and it is complicated right. and you don't want and, to, and, and, <laughs> right. And then he turns around and writes a hundred million dollar check to world central kitchen to, to make it all better. Right. Exactly. <laughs> right? And it's like, well, that, which is good and, and great. And like, yes. they're doing amazing work, but it's also like this, these things can be fixed at the source. Um, yep. you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, we talked about farmers and, and the farmers that are pulling, but what about large food companies that are that are just creating really unhealthy food at really low prices? And are, do do you see a, a, a them contributing to healthcare costs somehow? Where if you're going to produce food that is unhealthy, um, it's cheap, uh, but yet we we know it's 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 harmful. Um, do we see? I mean, wh- how, wh- where where are you on a soda tax? Is that do you think that's a way to actually deal with this? With some, you know, some of the unhealthy choices, or do you prefer a carrot, you know, and and like a double bucks program? Right. Um, well, I'm a journalist, so I, I'm not going to like say what I think should be done, <laughs> but um, but I can. You're a, per- you're, well, you're a person, but too. I can talk about the evidence that I that I cover. Okay. okay. Um, and you know, I, I it's a really it's a really good question because you know that Rockefeller report that just came out um, that showed the the costs of the food system are about three trillion when you calculate in all the additional costs instead of the one trillion that we pay. The biggest external cost was healthcare was the the health impacts right. So that was that was the biggest one, even above environmental and social and um, and. You know, one of the questions that this this book on TCA gets into is like, okay, so we know that we can calculate the health costs, and 
now who pays for it? <laughs> like, and how do you like, and I, I mean, I don't, I don't know the answer. I mean, this, I, I think there's been some reporting on the, the soda tax, um, in California uh, around like how effective it's been. And, and I, d- I don't know off the top of my head, um, what, what that data looks yeah, like. It, well, on a, lo- on a larger scale in Mexico, they, they, mm. they, uh, it, it's, it seems to have lowered the obesity rates. Um, and now it's a total tax for the whole country. Mm. So it, it does, it does seem to be working, you know, but again, uh, soda is inexpensive and people who are, you know, struggling to put food on a table, it is an option. And, you know, you also have the issue with, with, you know, parents who are low income and they're dealing with their families, they're telling their kids no all day long, you know, no to the, 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 the you know, computer game, no to an iPhone, no to, you know, a hundred dollar pair of sneakers, no, 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 no all the time. And so do you say no to a 89 cents, you know, half a gallon of soda? So at what point can you say yes? And so it, it's, it becomes an issue because, again, it's become a tax on on poor people. Right. Well, a big focus is in this book is on using these kinds of analyses to change policy. And so to, to shift the bigger system that, you know, rewards or disincentivizes certain practices like all the way back at the source so that it kind of starts to move big things that then change these these prices altogether and the systems altogether. Stick around for more with Lisa Held of Civil Eats. Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform with one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com slash stereo right now. NetSuite.com slash stereo. NetSuite.com slash stereo. The following ad is sponsored by Pets Best Insurance Services. Pets come into our lives in many ways. Shelters, breeders, or unexpected encounters. But no matter how you found your pet, they become our perfect match. Unfortunately, finding the right pet insurance plan can be hard. That's where Pets Best comes in. With a little information about you and your pet, Pets Best will recommend a plan that meets your needs and budget. Visit PetsBest.com to learn more today. Your perfect pet deserves the perfect coverage. PetsBest.com. With the best all-inclusive vacation deals to Mexico and the Caribbean, booking your getaway with cheap Caribbean vacations means you have more freedom. Whether you want to enjoy snorkeling, endless margaritas, and more, cheap Caribbean vacations has your deal for that. Plan and book using our exclusive budget beach finder or find a featured all-inclusive package to Hyatt Ziva Riviera Cancun at CheapCaribbean.com. That's CheapCaribbean.com. Hey, I'm Tom Colicchio, and you're listening to Citizen Chef. Let's get back to my discussion with Lisa Held of Civil Eats. 
What can True Cost Accounting tell us about uh, food production and climate change? So some of the analyses that are in the book and, and also the Rockefeller Report did include greenhouse gas emissions as one of the externalities that can be calculated in in this fr- within the framework. So, you know, I, I suppose if you were going to look at a true cost accounting of, um, you know, a, a commodity steak or burger versus um, the equivalent amount of protein from, say, beans, um, and you calculated in the health impacts, the, you know, production, the, and then the greenhouse gas emissions there, um, the price of the meat would be higher than, you know, the right, price right. of. Well, right. Would, would you calculate, uh, so if you're looking at true cost accounting and how uh, uh, agriculture contributes to greenhouse gases, do you, do you, do you extrapolate out to the cost of storms? Because if, if, if our climate is warming up and it's creating more powerful storms, more destructive storms, um, do you calculate the cost of the cleanup of those storms in and the damage to homes and, and uh, businesses? Yeah. Uh, I mean, do you go that far? I mean, you could. That's, I mean, this is sort of an emerging, um, field and, and discussion. And, and I, I think that you could make an argument that that should be included, right? You also, like, we haven't even talked about the flip side, which is incorporating the benefits that, that certain foods convey, right? And, and including that in the calculation. So, you know, you could have a farm that is, um, doing something to, for instance, um, hold water on that farm in the, in the event of a huge climate, um, event, like a big flood or, you know, and building resilience so that they'll be able to produce food when we're facing all this extreme weather. And so you could, you could calculate in, you know, a benefit that they're providing as well. Um, and, or, you know, if they're building biodiversity on the farm that supports pollinators and, you know, we're going to need pollinators because they're, a lot of them are threatened. One of the challenges with true cost accounting is that it's this big, complicated, like emerging academic discipline. And like this book is, it's very wonky. (laughs) um, So, you know, it's hard to be like, yes, we can do it this way or no, we can't do, we can do it. We can't do it that way. Um, I think it's, it's all kind of being worked out as we sit here. Yeah. I also, when I, when I read the article, I started thinking about all the hog farmers in like North Carolina and the, the waste pits that are just, you know, creating uh, communities that are unlivable because of the stench. Um, property values have dropped, and not, you can't sell a house uh, if you're if you're located next to one of these hog farms. Um, and yet, that's certainly not calculated in the cost of pork at the at the, at the supermarket. That's yeah, great example. And I think those environmental justice um, impacts are definitely a big part of the discussion here. And I mean, actually, one crazy thing is uh, in North Carolina, where those hog farms are concentrated. Um, in the last few years, there was a group of community residents that sued the industry and, and actually won and were, were granted, um, some monetary compensation. And when you think about it, like I, this just occurred to me right now, it, that court was almost doing a form of true cost accounting, right? Because they, they looked at like the way these community residents had been affected their whole lives with, you know, health, health impacts from breathing in, um, ammonia and, um, the smells that ruin their quality of life. And like you said, value of their homes was destroyed. And the court said, you know, you, there's actually a calculation we can do 
to provide damages. And like, in a way, that's actually kind of a form of true cost accounting. But again, did, did it change the practice? Are these companies willing to just dish out that money um, to keep the cost so low? Um, so they're just selling more and more pork. And most of these companies aren't even owned by U.S. companies anymore. Uh, China owns Smithfield. So so we're, we're taking other countries just, just waste and decimating our communities because profit, because we want to sell cheap pork. We want to export cheap pork. A lot of that pork goes to uh, China too, yeah. Uh, absolutely, mm-hmm. sure. It, 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 it's not, it, doesn't, it doesn't stay here. Um, obviously, I don't, I don't think anyone is suggesting that we should um, increase prices by you know, 300% or 200%, whatever, whatever it would be to compensate. And so to what end uh, are, are we doing? Is this, is this strictly for if there is a lawsuit to calculate the costs? I mean, but where do you see this going? Do you, do you, we talk about curating policy that could maybe stop some of this pollution at the source. Yeah. So, so for instance, like regulate, like changing regulatory frameworks to say like you, you, the, actually the EPA right now is looking at changing, um, regulations for slaughterhouses to, um, if they had to, to figure out ways to pay in, for their own pollution into rivers, um, instead of just being able to, let it go and not, and then, you know, the EPA is cleaning it up. That could be a way of internalizing, like making that company internalize that cost. Um, there are some examples in the book in Denmark. Um, they have done it in, in a way where they use taxes in interesting ways. So for instance, they tax the use of, um, certain pesticides, certain, um, very harmful pesticides. And that is a way to incentivize less pesticide use. And, you know, it's, it's big, big policy at the federal level. And then there's, oh, like for a good example, I think is like the good food purchasing program, which started in, in the Los Angeles public school system and is now in schools and, and other institutions around the country. And they're saying, okay, we're going to evaluate when we decide where we're sourcing our food from. It's not just going to be what's the lowest cost item. We're going to factor in all these other things. At the end of the day, they still have to consider the actual price tag, right? These are places using like, you know, getting reimbursements from for the federal government, which we know are low. Um, but they are doing it and they're, ta- they're considering all these different factors when they make decisions about the food that they source. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean cer- certainly you could tie crop insurance to conservation. Mm. Uh, that, that's that's something that's been you know talked about for a while. Yeah. So, so all these farm subsidies are actually you know pegged towards conservation. Also, I I, I imagine if there's higher costs associated with organic farming, um, and so if they're not externalizing a lot of those costs. Those costs are are being captured in the price of organic food. Um, is there a way to create uh, an insurance program for those those um, uh, especially crop producers versus the subsidies that mostly go to corn and soy producers? But you know, at, at a certain point, I, I guess it does show you that a lot of what we're doing is completely unsustainable at any price. Um, again, the way we're producing corn and, and soy in, in places like Iowa are completely unsustainable. I mean, they're, they're never going to clean up that dead zone in, 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 in the Gulf of Mexico. And then what, are, what is the cost of that to the fisheries? What is the cost of that to just health? I mean, there are places now in Tampa, the, the algae blooms are, are, are just horrible where people can't leave their homes. They can't go outside. They're getting respiratory illnesses. Uh, fish are, are showing up dead. And so what is that doing to the fisheries there? What is it doing to our oceans? Who's going to bear the cost of that? Um, I, 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 I don't see the farmers in Iowa doing that. Um, I don't know how much you'd have to charge them to do that, but it would be unsustainable for them as well. Um, 
And so, you know, you, you kind of hope that at least through TCA that the government from a policy standpoint could start looking at some of these practices and figuring out how um, to, again, either create better in, you know, incentives for better practices versus just fine people. Um, but but you can also come up with, with with you know clear rules around pollution and can can you know can you you at least find ways to divert um, again by using bioswales by using other filtration methods to filter the nitrates at the source versus waiting for them to be discharged into into the waters. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, you mentioned uh, crop insurance and um, thinking about this, this cropland in, in places that are emptying into the Gulf. Um, you could also think about commodity programs in the farm bill. And I actually recently saw somebody showed me the actual calculation that happens to determine um, how much a farmer gets paid um, in in a you know forms of a, just a commodity payment just for growing just for having these acres of cotton or corn or soy, right. and we're handing out all this money based on this simple calculation that only considers what is the market price of this crop right now and right. how many acres do you have and and you know I I, I mean it's it's obviously far fetched you and <laughs> we know how policy works but. What, you know, what if the, that calculation included, you know, you, you get less money if you're discharging nitrogen into the Gulf, or you get more money right. if you implement these controls to reduce the amount of nitrogen and phosphorus that are, are coming off mm -hmm. your fields, right? Like you don't get a, sure. you don't get a commodity payment if you don't plant cover crops. There's, there's all these, you know, sort of right. things that ways you could kind of go about it. So what, how, how can TCA inform the consumer on making better choices in the marketplace? The biggest thing is just kind of getting, kind of adjusting the consumer mindset. And I think like there's a really, there's a really great chapter in the book that Kathleen Merrigan did that is just basically her talking about how to use true cost accounting to think about the impacts of um, plant and cell-based meats, these sort of faux meats that are emerging compared to um, actual meat. And it's a really cool, it's just an exercise. She doesn't, it's not academic like the others where she's like, we're going to do this study. She's just like, here's the questions that I would ask, you know, um, what, like, what is the actual nutrition of, of this burger? And, you know, where, where are the ingredients going to be grown and how are they going to be grown? And, and so I think like for a consumer, it's, it's like just familiarizing yourself with all of these questions so that when you do make decisions about what you're going to buy or what you're going to eat, you're able to think about it in this systemic way and kind of, um, consider all these variables rather than, just, you know, say, well, I heard plant-based food is better than meat. So I'm going to buy this impossible burger. Like it's, it's not that simple, unfortunately. And so I think just familiarizing yourself with the kinds of things that the kinds of impacts that do exist, um, can help consumers make better choices. Stick around for more with Lisa Held of Civil Eats. Okay. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. 
But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform with one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. Access from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com stereo right now. NetSuite.com stereo. NetSuite.com stereo. The following ad is sponsored by Pets Best Insurance Services. Pets come into our lives in many ways. Shelters, breeders, or unexpected encounters. But no matter how you found your pet, they become our perfect match. Unfortunately, finding the right pet insurance plan can be hard. That's where Pets Best comes in. With a little information about you and your pet, Pets Best will recommend a plan that meets your needs and budget. Visit PetsBest.com to learn more today. Your perfect pet deserves the perfect coverage. PetsBest.com. With the best all-inclusive vacation deals to Mexico and the Caribbean, booking your getaway with cheap Caribbean vacations means you have more freedom. Whether you want to enjoy snorkeling, endless margaritas, and more, cheap Caribbean vacations has your deal for that. Plan and book using our exclusive budget beach finder or find a featured all-inclusive package to Hyatt Ziva Riviera Cancun at CheapCaribbean.com. That's CheapCaribbean.com. Hey, I'm Tom Colicchio, and you're listening to Citizen Chef. I'm talking with journalist Lisa Hell about reforming our food system using true cost accounting, or TCA. In, in having this conversation, it's just it's dawning on me that a lot of farms that are either organic or a lot of uh, farms that are uh, raising animals, humanely, uh, a lot of local farms that are around me out here. I'm out in, uh, in North Fork on Long Island. Mm. Um, and wondering if they can use TCA to actually show the consumer why their cost of the food that you're buying in these small farms is more. Absolutely. I, I think that's definitely something that we're going to be seeing more and more of. Um, Chipotle had this thing that they released recently that was like um, an app where you could look at how your order um, fared on environmental and social like metrics where it was like, right. okay, I ordered this bean burrito. And it was like, you can see how many greenhouse gas emissions you saved and what the um, social impact was by choosing this ingredient. And so that's exactly what they're doing. They're using the way that they source as a marketing tool, essentially. Right. So this dovetails right into environmental social governance, you know, ESG, which is kind of a, a hot topic now. Investors are investing in everything. ESG are looking for an ESG play. Major companies, again, like Chipotle and other major food companies out there are looking at how they could be more responsible to the environment, to social causes, and, and actually, you know, have better governance. And um, and I'm imagining that, you know, that using, using um, you know, TCA could, could help those companies figure out where best to, to make those investments that will have a greater impact on the environment or, or you know, social well-being. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Lauren, the editor of the book who I interviewed, she um, 
pointed to investment as one of the most promising um, applications of TCA. And for that exact reason, that ESG has already kind of taken hold in the investment world. And so um, applying a TCA framework is not really new. It's just kind of an expansion of that ESG framework that already exists. Yeah, you know, you're going shopping. You're not really paying attention to this. You're you're loading up the grocery cart. What choices can you make now? I mean, obviously, going to a farmer's market would be a better choice, especially for local economies. Going to a small farm and buying your chicken, all, all that's great. But most people shop in a supermarket. What can they do in the supermarket? Or do you think the supermarket then bears some responsibility to at least have marketing materials around better choices that are better for um, the environment and better for, for, for social issues? Who, who bears the responsibility to educate the consumer? Um, that is a big question. Um, journalists, maybe? I don't know. <laughs> um, you know, there's your there's your next story. I, there it I is. certainly bear. I, I certainly feel the responsibility of educating um, very very strong strongly. Um, it weighs on me all the time. But um, how, how responsible do you feel? I feel extremely responsible. I would say educating the public is is like maybe half, and then the other half is holding power to account. So um, that's a lot of a lot of what I do is reporting on the behavior of um, some of these companies, especially like the biggest meatpacking companies and that have a lot of power and, and but then educating people on on is part of that, right? So it's it's kind of a combination. Mm -hmm. But um but I, yeah, I mean, it's supermarkets are, are tough. Like I, I do think, you know, I have a lot of privilege and that I do shop mostly at markets. I also have a really great supermarket, um, by me that has really great options. Um, and right. not everybody has that. Um, but I, I mean, I think like just shifting more to, vegetables and grains and beans and all those foods that immediately can have such a a big impact um, because meats, commodity meats impacts in terms of all resources and also impacts on people. And they're just so outsized compared to all of the plant-based foods. I do think that the what the consumer can do is limited at like by the time it get they get to the supermarket, it feels a little bit limited. And I think like, actually changing what is available in the supermarket is a better <laughs> approach. Right. What, could, what, what could be interesting is, is if the USDA created a framework uh, and policy around labeling, where as part of labeling your product, you have to put the effect that this particular product has. Like, What are the external costs that, that are, are out there um, based on this particular item? So if it's a chicken producer, they're going to have to figure out the true cost accounting on that chicken, and it has to be part of the labeling. So at least the consumer understands, um, you know, where their choices are. Are you know the choice they're making are contributing to, um, uh, you know, these companies being able to to externalize their costs. You know, even going as far as looking at wages and 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 uh, people who are relying on SNAP who are working in particular meatpacking companies or large food companies. Um, I mean, that could be an interesting way to go about it. Just to just to have a framework to understand. Um, the contribution that 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 you know your purchase is making. Yeah, <laughs> I, I would love to see a TCA accounting uh, uh, on the uh, true cost of of taking forage fish 
And the calculation is, you know, 10 pounds of forage fish creates one pound of meat. Yeah. That just doesn't seem to make sense to me at all. Um, it is getting better. Those, the, it's, it, yeah. it, it, it is, but it's still, um, <laughs> it's just a nonsensical to me. But, uh, um, and, and what is the cost of that? What is the cost of a, of a fishery collapsing because of this? What is the cost of the pollution of, of you know, these farm drift nets that are causing on the environment around these farms? And, and that would be an interesting uh uh, exercise to, to look at. Um, Hopefully, somebody listening that is a yeah. a, re- a researcher <laughs> will will hurry up and do that for us. <laughs> right. Um, so, different subject now. As, as a food journalist, what else right now are you looking at? What excites you? Do you see anything now in in, in you know Tom Vilsack's second go around in the USDA that you think they're, they're that we're getting right? Oh, such a good question. I mean, the the most interesting thing at the USDA right now, I think, is these um, what they're doing with with meat packing, and you know, the the Biden administration just had this big announcement that I covered um, in terms of how they're going to be tackling consolidation um, within the meatpacking industry and um, trying to implement some reforms that are a long time coming to shift the balance of power in the system towards farmers and workers and away from um, these big companies. And honestly, like that, even, even the administration putting out that executive order and showing the charts of how, you know, profits have risen and prices to farmers have not. And uh, that kind of stuff, was so taboo to talk about <laughs> like for forever. And so that was a little, I was, I was really surprised by that. And, um, yeah. well, one, one of, one of my food heroes, uh, Shelly Pingree has been really focused on the licenses, the 25 licenses that are giving out by the USDA to various farmers and meatpacking, um, and how, uh, the, the, the largest of the companies make sure that these licenses, uh, you know, aren't, aren't getting put out there at all. Um, and so it's really restrictive for a small farmer where they can only, you know, maybe, maybe they can kill the animal on the farm, but they can't break it up into pieces. So they can't sell into the supermarket chains. They can only sell on their farms or farmers markets. Highly, highly restrictive. And it's the, the, the big meatpacking companies in the world that make sure that these licenses don't get out there. And so she's been doing some great work on, on that. Yeah. 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 Shelly, Shelly's great. I've interviewed her um, many times. She always has um, a lot of, of insights on these topics. And, and I mean, and the, the, the flip side of what USDA is doing is they are also putting money into um, building up regional meat infrastructure, which, you know, is, is speaks to what you're talking about. You know, there, there's a, a, an issue with access to slaughterhouses. If you are a small farm raising animals on pasture and, and there's all these rules about where you can sell and and there 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 is some movement um and energy around tackling that and making it easier and building up more uh resilient infrastructure for regional and smaller systems that's that's i think the most interesting thing coming out of usda and looking at some of the climate solutions that are being proposed for the food system and whether or not they are really effective and, and if they come with unintended consequences. Um, so I think there's a lot in that area that is going to be really important, obviously, as we're facing this climate crisis <laughs> um, and things are pretty urgent on that front. Uh, Lisa, listen, it's been great having you, um, and and I, I, you know, hopefully we can keep this communication going because uh, your wealth of information, you're working on a lot of things that interest me. Thanks for joining us today, and uh, um, thanks for the work that you're doing. Thank you so much. I'll come back anytime. 
TCA or true cost accounting feels intuitive to me, and I think we can all use a more inclusive lens when it comes to assessing the impact of our actions, and not just when it comes to food. Uh, that being said, I hope that this conversation, along with the previous episodes, inspire you to think of the larger picture when choosing your groceries or going out to dinner. You know, we all have to eat, but whether our foods enrich our lives or cause more harm is up to us. And I have a lot of faith it'll be more of the former. I've learned so much this season, and I, and I hope you have too. Let us know what's stuck with you. If you have a chance, whether it be on Twitter or hashtag Citizen Chef or in a review, what kind of world do you want to see and how can you help get us there? Thanks again to journalist Lisa Hell for her expertise and her excellent reporting on all things food. Thanks to A Place at the Table. And thanks to you for listening. Now, we hope you've enjoyed this season of Citizen Chef and you have a safe, happy, and more importantly, delicious autumn. Citizen Chef is executive produced by Christopher Hasiotis, produced by Gabrielle Collins, and researched by Lillian Holman. Citizen Chef is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts like this, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere you get your favorite shows. 